0: Welcome to another guest host edition of the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I'm Omid Farhang, founder at Majority. Today's guest host, the big sis I never had, Tiff Rolfe, chair and global chief creative officer at RGA. During our days together at CPB, Tiff took me under her wing. She's the best creative partner I ever had. Her work and leadership were a big reason why CPB won agency of the decade in 2010 Today leading RGA, Tiff is among the most powerful women and talented humans in all of advertising. Her guest this episode is her boss, Bob Greenberg, founder and executive chairman of RGA. Bob is a legendary pioneer of our industry spanning over four decades. He never stops evolving the company, first from a world-class movie title shop to a digital studio to really the gold standard of digital advertising agencies. And now to a company that spans ventures, consulting, tech, design, marketing, architecture. With offices around the world today, RGA remains one of the world's most influential and award-winning companies. Ad Age named it among its agencies of the decade. Adweek named it Digital Agency of the Year five times in 10 years. There's almost no award or recognition the company hasn't received by now. And Bob still to this day has a front row seat to it all. This is the greats, Tiffany Rolfe and Bob Greenberg, talking to themselves.
1: Thanks, Amid. Hello, Bob. Hi there. Uh, most, I don't think, know that we actually do a, um, a one-on-one chat monthly. So I'm actually thinking, why, why hadn't we turned that into a podcast this whole time?
2: That's right. It's like a, like an ongoing podcast.
1: Um, I, I am going to go a little bit more personal, I think, than we typically do on a, on a, on a day-to-day conversation. So I, I hope you're ready for that. Um, Mm. I also, I also, while I dug in for some good juicy questions, I also, um, use chat GPT four just to see what, um, questions they might serve up. So, um, or it, or whatever it is. So we'll talk about, about that AI a little bit later, but I thought that that would be a fun thing too, just to see, uh, what kind of questions might be generated for us? Um, yeah. So, but I do want to start. I actually want to start with your your analog years, um, and wanted to hear more about how how your your childhood. You know, growing up, your upbringing, your parents. How did that inspire you and your brother's creative career choice?
2: Well, my brother and I um, shared a bedroom growing up, and that was uh, interesting. He's a real character. He passed away a few years ago, but he was um, he was doing some interesting themes early on with uh, what they call graphic animation. Graphic, graphic animation at the time, what, there wasn't a name for it, but it was really what um, Sal Bass did as an example, Charles Eames. They both offered him jobs when he graduated from the University of Illinois. And he started to do that type of work. And I was working for my uncle up in Canada, uh, running a factory, oddly enough, which became um, an important part of RGA because the methodologies for doing that uh, became similar uh, when we became manufacturers of images, as an example. And, you
1: know, as as a- that was great. I mean, it's, it's hard to it's hard to beat that one. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do want to ask though even more about you personally. Um, I know you had mentioned to me at one point that you um, were dyslexic, which I found really interesting, especially because I, I, I think there there's a common um, theme there. A lot uh, some creative people that I've met happen to be dyslexic uh, dyslexic, and I wondered how that impacted you or uh, or helped you look at things um as a kid and also how did that impact you as a as a, as a creative and beyond growing up
2: um dyslexia is a sort of a funny rewiring the brain that they don't know that much about but they um can recognize it uh while, while you're in grammar school and such Back in the day, I grew up in Chicago in public schools, and they didn't recognize it at all, so I didn't know anything about it. I just couldn't read very well. I, I had trouble um, speaking. Um, I uh, couldn't add, um, you know, all the important parts of of, of schooling. I was uh, always in a remedial class, and um, I really didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that um, I tested very poorly, and I wound up actually having the lowest s a t score in the Midwest in the United States. That's one of my great um accomplishments, and that's because even if I got the answers right, I'd only finish half the test, so there was no way I was gonna um do do well and so I struggled all through um through uh school, and university as well. But um, later on, after I overcame dyslexia one way or another, uh, like many others uh, before me, it winds up being a benefit because you are able to pre-visualize things. So I thought what I was pre-visualizing, everybody saw but actually they didn't. And then it worked to the advantage of myself and RGA.
1: So that's, so I always, uh, I love that, that idea of pre-visualizing. And I think that's something that, that you've done um, throughout your career, but did you, you mentioned the, 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 the cola manufacturing earlier, did you ever pre-visualize that you would not be at a, at a cola manufacturing company and potentially in a creative field?
2: Um, I always wanted to be. Well, I was in Toronto, Canada. The factory was pretty big, and we had three shifts, a union, and it was public company. So I found myself wearing Brooks Brothers um, suits and and ties, and I was like a, a vice president kind of person. And I never, I never visualized myself doing that. But when my brother offered me the opportunity to become a partner with him in a new creative field, which was graphic animation at the time. Um, There were two reasons why I went. One was uh, because it was creative and two, because um, it was New York. And I always wanted to live in New York and I never had.
1: So speaking of living in New York, um, and those other days, I know you and your brother actually sh- shared an apartment in Hell's Kitchen um, that you also worked out of. So you were very ahead of the curve in working from home. What were those days like in, in your apartment in New York, building this startup with your brother?
2: Well, the apartment was so small. Um, there was a company in, in uh, Holland, in Amsterdam particularly, that made furniture for people that didn't have any space because the spaces were too, so tiny in uh, in Europe. So I slept in a box that opened up, and he slept in a bookcase that turned around and came down. And the office was only 1,200 square feet, but it was with a staircase, so it was really tiny. And we had a movieola and an animation camera and a place to do the work. But um, And eventually we had three or four people working there as well. So, one of the clients from IBM once said, "You know, it's really a lovely office you have here, but it's so small. I wonder if you can't if you can't wait to get home at night, which was sort of the the thing that was uh, was strange. But you know, when you look back, you really enjoyed those the time together and in building the company. And that was nineteen seventy seven and it was the worst period of New York City, by the way. Nothing worked. The subways were breaking down. Uh, air conditioners were falling out of the windows. And it was uh, really one of the most interesting times to be in New York.
1: But charming in some ways, right? And, and funny, oh, you yeah. said box. I'll, ne- I'll never think of the RGA logo the same way. I'm going to always think about that red box being the size your apartment when you started <laughs> now. I'm not sure if that's where it came from, but that's how I'll think about it. Um, as an I'm an art school grad, um, and I I think one of the things that I was always fascinated about to hear you talk about it and and to know that it was kind of core to the center um, of RGA was the the Bauhaus roots. Talk about how and and why Bauhaus inspired you as you built your own creative company and culture.
2: Well, growing up in Chicago was the location of the new Bauhaus. Um, Mies van der Rohe. My parents lived in um, a penthouse, not that they were wealthy, just that they they did, in, and diversity uh, to, uh, in Lincoln Park in Chicago. And so I knew a bit about that. And then my brother moved into the 880 uh, Lakeshore Drive, uh, Mies, uh, um apartments, and I was very familiar with what he was doing because my brother was also teaching at IIT which was the new Bauhaus, and it was being run by Mies van der Rohe. So I knew about that, and then Chicago's a very architectural city, mainly because it burnt down and they rebuilt it in a, in a really interesting architectural way. And I just became interested in architecture, and he became the person I was most interested in, and Corbusier.
1: So Bauhaus, but there's also this interesting background um around hollywood i also and i I think you know part of what drew drew me to working with you working with rga is i also started out in hollywood i was a web designer programmer back early days internet and and you all um you started in in movie credits you know films like superman and alien um how did the hollywood working with hollywood studios i guess prepare you for the business of advertising
2: well i think they're the toughest uh companies to work for they used to all be located in New York back in the day Warner Brothers, Paramount um, they all were in New York and then they moved to the West Coast Um, we um, started by doing titles but then um, I became interested in computers and I had attached computers to manufacturing in Canada ahead of Probably a lot of people. Uh, in 1977, there were um, mostly what they called DEC 11, uh, 750 uh, VAXs Eventually, but before that, they, they had things called PDP-8s that were, you know, had the memory of a flea. And but they still were computers. And I was computerizing some of the manufacturing, and I brought it to the the, um, the field of um, computer-assisted uh, filmmaking. And everybody fought it, and then they eventually saw the value of it because not only could you pre-visualize things uh, because it, it was much faster, but you could also uh, test new things that you would never be able to do otherwise. So, we it gave us a real uh point of differentiation. And uh, by the way, the thing about the Bauhaus is it's core to the principles of RGA. The idea that um, two of the principles, less is more, which is about simplicity, and the sum is greater than the individual parts, which is about collaboration. So both of those two principles were the main principles behind RGA right from the beginning.
1: I love that. Um, and, And, you know, coming from from where you were doing Hollywood movies. I think most would say, Hey, you're, you're going pretty well. Let's keep this ride going. We're, we're changing the the industry, the Hollywood industry, but instead you, you made a really big pivot. Um, and, and I think change is this reoccurring theme. I think for maybe you something I was drawn to something that, you know, we, we do, we think about at RGA a lot, 80% finished is a mantra that I, I've always loved that it's been part of um, a philosophy that, you know, you, you help create this idea, I guess, of like always tinkering, pushing forward, but change is also really hard. And like, how, how in that moment, um, you know, shifting from, from what you were doing with technology and, you know, entertainment and Hollywood shifting to something totally different, you know, how did that, uh, how, how, how do you think that way in terms of being able to just kind of quickly change and adapt, which I think is hard for a lot of people.
2: Well, you can see what's going to happen and then you can adapt early. Um, and I knew when we were doing the right thing was when our own employees were protesting. So for instance, back in the day of computer-assisted filmmaking, I added video into the mix and people just hated video. They saw it as, um, you know, um, a very... Uh, not sophisticated version of um, of what was almost entirely film-based. And we used it again for pre-visualization and they eventually saw how important that was and we incorporated video into everything we were doing. That's very common now, of course. And then computer graphics, the same thing. Um, I had invested... Um, Uh, Well, hundreds of thousands back then was a lot of money. And I invested in VMS Fortran, which is a software. And um, the, the, the employees, some of them that were very into software, wanted us to switch to Unix, which, of course, made a lot of sense. It's a really powerful change in software. And so they protested that. And eventually I gave up. on on VMS Fortran and and moved to Unix and everything was like that. When we brought in um, new, new ideas, they would fight it, but nothing was as big as moving toward uh, the internet because we were working with, at that time doing special effects, which we did on about 400 movies. And, um, we were working in this division, which is a large format and 65 millimeter, even in IMAX. And we were doing the most incredible things. And we were, we were up against, uh, ILM, which was George Lucas and up against digital domain, which was James Cameron. And we were in the midst of doing the biggest, uh, movies when I switched us over to the internet where you couldn't even move a photograph. It was like the slowest modem-based thing that you could ever imagine. But uh, it eventually became a huge change that was recognized um, by the industry. And we built up clients and a business around that. It was our entry point into becoming an agency. Otherwise, um, it was very hard to do back then because we were a... a feature promotion and special effects company trying to become an agency and that, that wasn't working, but the interactive entry was what helped us.
1: How do you though, personally, you know, as, as employees and maybe even people out in the world look at you and say, what are you doing? That's, you know, where are you going? That's, that's, that's not where things are going or question that, that rate of change. Like how do you stay, how do you stay con- with your conviction in that? And what would you say, the qualities people need to have to, I think, stay on board with with such change.
2: What I see today is, um, I don't know exactly why, I see people who are not um, as interested in taking a risk. And um, that's what you really have to do. When we made our big changes, it was like um, talking to, Um, our folks about it first and then, you know, pulling the plug and actually doing it. Um, uh, When we moved from being a film-based special effects company um, and also doing commercials and other things into the um, internet, mobile, and social media, only um, 30 people came with me. So...
1: It was like that Jerry Maguire moment. You're like, who's with me? <laughs> yeah.
2: And nobody nobody was that interested. They weren't really the people that I needed. There were people that were doing things that were really tied to the, the movie business and other things that had to learn about um not just interactive but also advertising. So um that was very hard. And I was um determined that we would do it anyway. And we eventually, you know, made that full change.
1: So people can change too, which is nice to hear and, and, and evolve um, for those that have the will and the way. Uh, one yeah. thing though, that doesn't change uh, for someone who is so about change and moving forward, um, you don't like to change your look. You're known for wearing the same <laughs> thing. The I always say when I joined RGA, I had a big beret to fill. Um, you know, known for the beret, which I see. I, I see your full head today. You don't. You're not wearing it at the moment. But um, talk a little bit about you know why why and you started wearing a beret and wh- what that means.
2: Um, well, first of all, I started um, wearing a uniform. The first one was based on Woody Allen, who did that. Uh, with Brooks Brothers clothes, and then I did it with Agnes B., and then I did it with Comme des and Yoji Yamamoto. The Yoji Yamamoto, and then I, I switched to um, wearing all black in 1984. So it was well ahead of when it became a theme at RGA, let alone New York and all that. Um, I stopped wearing a tie in 84 as well. And I stopped wearing collars in 84. So I, I got this uniform and wearing the uniform. And now I have the most sophisticated version of it where it's all black and it's in my closet, which happens to be in our bedroom with my wife. And I can put on my outfit in pitch black. I know where everything is and I just. And so. That became a theme. You know, eventually uh, Steve Jobs um, did that um, uh, as well with Izzy Miyake and uh, others, uh, Levi's that he wore and his um, his shoes that Nike could never get him to change to Nike. But um, uh, and he did that. And then I heard President Obama even does that. So it saves a lot of time and it's it's it's. um, it's one of the things that uh, probably I, I was part of the pioneering of. I think a lot of people are doing that now.
1: And I, I do believe, I would say, like, if you if you can be a Halloween costume, you know you've made it. So I think yeah. it's a sign of success.
2: <laughs> well, the, the beret also, um, I think I had mentioned to you, a lot of people don't know. Um, they put my beret into the, uh, or one of them, I have many of them. Uh, into the Smithsonian. So the first thing is I've never been there to look at it. The second thing is I heard it's close to David Ogilvie's pipe, which is interesting. And um, they did an oral history that's connected to it. So I have something in the Smithsonian, which is sort of interesting.
1: I You told me that. I had never heard that before. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the themes you've already brought up, you know, this idea of um, collaboration being at the center, bringing lots of different, I think, types of thinkers, skill sets together, which is that Bauhaus technology, which is part of that, but also being center um, and and people, you know, the right the right mindset, um, humanity, if you will. What what do you think the role of humanity is when it comes to to using technology? And I think that there's a tension around that that you've always navigated, and I, but I think is it, still there, especially with with new technologies today.
2: Well, I think um, it's not often said, but um, the the real change that's happened in our lifetimes, and I'm, I, I just turned 75, um, the real change that's happened in my lifetime has been the impact of technology on everything that we do. And so the internet, mobile, social media, computer graphics have changed the world, and now... Um, probably the metaverse, um, AI, and also robotics are the next things that will simply change the world, only they're going to change it even more. And it's always the, the best version of what reminds me of the past in terms of change in humanity and just people in general, things that affect them the most, um, would be, say, the metaverse because the metaverse is running along the same lines as mobility did back in the day where people just didn't think it was going to be important and they've already discounted it. They said it was, uh, you know, not, not uh, very interesting, uh, but they're wrong about that. And so uh, I hope that we continue to develop capabilities in the metaverse since Gen Z and younger are spending half their time there anyway, and so you have to meet people where they are, and the same thing happened, by the way, with gaming and computer graphics. I once uh, sat at a table with Dr. Ed Catmull, who founded Pixar, and I said, "You know, I don't know how we're ever going to get there because we can't even generate what's um, on the table in front of us," and then. He said, we're gonna use it as a storytelling device. And the first thing was Luxo Jr. And then it went on to be uh, so amazing um, what it can do. And it's integrated. There's computer graphics now in every television and motion picture project um, to a lesser or, or, or greater degree. So I think that technology is going to really have a huge impact on us, and the biggest thing would be AI.
1: I want to talk about that, but I want to I want to talk first about um, about something else. And an interesting, just as a side note, first website ever designed was a Pixar Pixar website. You brought up Pixar, and uh, it's so funny. I always find interesting parallels to to your journey, our journey, and, and mine, which is it's always really awesome to hear. Um, the role of of uh, humanity and technology. What I also um find really fascinating about you know your journey. I mean, one, I don't know, many people know, m- many people don't. Our our office was a, a great collection of you've been one of the biggest um collectors of insider art, kind of as human as you can get, as well as tech artifacts um of the past. And I think that the idea that you collect both of those um, is really interesting. And I wanted to just hear, how, how do you think about those? Are those both kind of the same form of art to you or how are they the same and different?
2: Well, um, it's actually outsiders art. uh outsider art. Outsider art um, wasn't- oh, Did I say people,
1: insider art? That's yes. so funny.
2: But you're <laughs> an insider, now. the <laughs> outsider world. The, the outsider art was interesting to me, which I found- um, to a number of different ways. Uh, it's closely connected to surrealism, but it, it's about people who are untrained. They may be schizophrenic, they could be hospitalized, they could be all sorts of things, but they have a need to communicate. So without any interest in selling anything or being part of uh, you know, the art world, particularly, they did these incredible um, and very artful, projects. And so I started to collect them as a reaction to the feature film business, which is actually the most collaborative creative business in the world. Because when you're doing particularly special effects movies, there's, there's uh, 1,500 people working on it. And they all have to work together. And I wanted to find the theme that was the least collaborative. And I came up with Van Gogh because he wasn't an outsider. He would go off into the field with just paints and a canvas and create a whole new visual language. So that became an idea that I introduced into RGA, the singular vision in a collaborative medium, which means that you'd have somebody like yourself, Tiff, running a project and working with a great number of people to create something that's really innovative. Um, so o- Outsider Self-Taught and Art Brute are all the different types of art. We had, we had it all throughout our offices all, all the time. And it became a really big collection, of which I'm trying now to uh, make it part of a museum. So um, it's all in storage, uh, along with uh, other collections that I have. The product design is like sculpture. Um, Dieter Rams, who's my hero, who I did a show at the Co- Cooper Hewitt with, um, is probably the best product designer and his his work is so beautiful. It's really was the main influence of Apple. So um, Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs were huge fans of Dieter Rams and what he did at Braun. So I started collecting his work, which led then to, The very first Walkman, which I bought, um, and the very first um, uh, Swatch Watch, or the very first um, BlackBerry. And then we created a big collection, which I'm still collecting. I I find it to be, um, it's really art um, as product.
1: I think that's really also interesting because it you know this combination of kind of the the real, the human, even the the physical, but also this sort of obsession or relentless pursuit of technology and the digital and those things coming together, I think are are really interesting themes. you know the um you you live in a in a glass house, even um I, I wanted to ask one question on that because you know they always say never sto- throw stones in a glass house, but like what? <laughs> What what else can you should you never do in a glass house? Just as a side note,
2: well, my wife always uh, we have it, what we were trying to do were two different things. We were trying to uh, build a house referencing the Mies der Farnsworth House and the um, the um, the glass house that's in New Canaan. Uh, which go back to 1949, 1951, and uh, Philip Johnson's house in Mezzvandera, and we hired uh, a person in Kurvova Went to Cooper Union, studied architecture, um, Toshiko Mori, a Japanese architect, and in the middle of the forest, we built um, four glass houses that are uh, the state of the art in terms of being computer controlled, and. Um, they have maybe, maybe have a hundred shades, uh, both the sheer and the blackout because it's really hard to live in a glass house. So anyway, Corvova, my wife puts the shades down uh, when she's taking a shower and we're, we're um, almost a mile from the road. And I said, listen, if, somebody, if we see somebody looking in that's a much bigger problem than the shades. So, you know, it's that type of thing. It's the security, it's the uh, sun during the winter is even more um, extreme than during the summer. It's the heating, the cooling, the security, the the, um, everything. Uh, We're always being hit by lightning, so, it's an interesting thing to live in the middle of of the forest because you see everything changing and you're right with nature. And everybody says they have a Miesian type of house, but really none of them represent Mies at all. This is the same footprint. It's the same, it's an update Amazing. from 1950 <laughs> to 2012.
1: Amazing. Um, and architecture I think has always been a, a big, component, if you will, to, to RGA creativity that you've developed. And I, I guess it's an interesting time for that, right? Where What do you think of the role of the, that physical space um, as more and more people post-pandemic and even prior work from home, work across locations aren't there? Uh, what is the role of the physical space now, I guess, within and for creativity?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of companies now that are looking at prefabrication, which is what we did. Um, and that's a very interesting um, thing that can really help with the future of um, of housing and 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 so forth. The other thing is is that uh, creating a website, like I use the example of the IBM website, which was so big in its day is really the same thing as building a house. So one is in physical space and one's in virtual space. And so there's a real connection between the two. And I think architects really work well in our business because they have that ability to pre-visualize. There's also many, many of them i found that are dyslexic. Um, so that's another thing. But but I think architecture is one of the best training programs for um for what we do
1: which I think is interesting because, a
2: lot of things
1: because I think people make assumptions you know especially in the light of you know we had a couple hundred thousand square feet we now have nineteen thousand where people um, come together more virtually. I mean you talk about the metaverse you talk about where people are and living within digital spaces that actually it's not so much that it has to be physical but it's about the right kind of space that can convene people, would you say? that's, um, that's the way that you could think about it?
2: Well, I never ever would have been able to pre-visualize what happened based on COVID. So COVID probably has created more change than any single thing in our lifetime. And the big change that, that happened was, um, video conferencing, like what we're doing, um, particularly with zoom, uh, we had Zoom for everybody in the company on a global basis in 2016. So we're very early adopters of what we called OS, our operating system, which incorpor- incorporated Zoom. But now everybody is using it. And it's changed to where it's very difficult, even with the great office, with free lunches and, um, and sometimes uh, booze as well that people won't come in and you uh they really want to work remotely and in many industries like ours it can be done so 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 that's a big challenge is how do you how do you create more of a hybrid atmosphere so the, the other side of hybrid would be in person and i think the most important thing for us and the biggest challenge is how do we get more in person meetings because The key to um, the Bauhaus and the key to um, the uh, problems that we're having now with remote workers is um, they, they don't have... Some people that we have, we've hired two years ago, and they've never met anybody. It's really a challenge because we have to figure out ways to get people to come in for meetings and for meetups and for exchange of ideas and for one thing leads to another. And that's the key to really successful collaboration. So we're working on that with our space to try to figure out things to do. As an example, um people um they um if if you if you do a lot, which we are. We increased our travel budget quite a lot, and by getting people to travel in from other locations, since we can hire from anywhere, and they could come in and meet up. Um, uh, that's a big uh, a big change with lower cost airfare and lower cost hotels and and um, meals and stuff. We could do more traveling. I think that's a really important thing. I sort of used the phrase back in the day of World War II. They said, you know, join the Navy, see the world. And the more we can move people around, the better our company is going to be in terms of being able to work together because they'll know each other and they'll have um, picked up ideas and see how other people work, et cetera, et cetera.
1: So when even booze won't bring you back, you know that the world has changed, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's um,
1: right. but I think the theme is, you know, I, I think it isn't about right going back necessarily to the way it was. It is that new brief. How do we both allow people to work from anywhere, be across the globe and connect with different types of people, but still always have those moments coming together, the physical moments that can't exactly be replicated um and and finding ways to design the right spaces
2: to convene a lot of people in our space don't really understand distributed creativity the concept and what it is is you could work what what clients want which i realized a, a while ago is they want things to be really good they want it to be faster and they want it to be less expensive so distributed creativity attacks all those things because you can have the the best talent hired from anywhere, and they could be less expensive. You could have you could work twenty four seven. You could do currency differentiation, which um, helps a lot because, for instance, Buenos Aires is much less expensive than New York, and then you can hire from anywhere. And what you it's it's one of the advantages of being part of a big global. Holding company because you need to have uh, payroll being done in a location in order to hire somebody to work, um, you know, in um, Algeria or something. So the the type of kind of things that we do used to be only in the big cities and it wasn't distributed, but now it is. There are so many people that are great at user experience all around the world that we can hire. And if we use a limited set of tools, so everybody's using the same tools and everybody's talking the same language and everybody understands how we work globally, we can really um, make a difference in our new model.
1: I found, um, you know, just as an anecdote during the pandemic, um, because, you know, part of this too is like, connecting with people, we know how important people are as part of our business, that in some ways, you know, I got closer to the people that were further away, and further away from the people that were closest. Right. And there, and, and so there were, new, there were connections still being made, but they're made in different ways The the global team became more connected, because we were all sort of in the same virtual place. But the the depth of the connections that you might have that are based on where you are. Um, we're more distant and finding I think, the right balance of those things because those are those are great perks for everybody to be connected more to different people across the globe, learn different perspectives, bring in different talent, but ensure that there there are still those moments of the the close connections of those around you. and 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 I think all anyone in the industry, this isn't just us, I would say the things that you're That's talking right, about yeah. are are things that it is the new brief for the industry, it's the, the new brief for creativity. I mean, and I wanted to bring up. It isn't also just about um, physical space, but also technology. You know, um, AI keeps to, to is, is a is a consistent theme, and I guess the role of of AI within human connection, creation, collaboration, um, the role it plays. You know, how, how do you see it changing people and people's creativity?
2: I start. I, I I always use the word prompt. Because I think that's the key to AI. But first of all, before I go into that briefly, um, distributed creativity is also the answer to diversification. And if you have the world and you're able to hire all different types of people with different experiences, the work has to get better. And we were people, we were always trying to do better with diversification. But there really weren't that many people available if you're trying to hire for just the New York office uh, at a senior level, let's say. It's a very limited group of experienced people. But when you open it up to the world, it's very different. So we can make a big impact there. The other thing is the exact same thing that you would do as a creative um, director is what will be done with AI, but you'll have an AI partner. So if you think of them as a partner, and by the way, the future is really about partnerships because not everybody can do everything. And it's forming these really important partnerships that we're working on. But, um, and some of them may be in AI, but um, if you are good at, as a creative director, you say something to your team and that's the prompt and they go out and come back with something. It's exactly the same in AI. You have now the term, which I I didn't come up with, it's just, uh, they're thinking the exact same way. They have prompt engineers, which are prompt tech people, they're prompt software people. And it's, uh, I have a friend who's a tabletop director and he's really great at lighting and, and making food look appetizing and stuff. And, He's going to really challenge the photographers because he can come up with a look by putting, by prompting. But you have to understand food photography and you have to under we're prompting with all the same things that he uses for his uh, food photography um, vocabulary. And it's going to be, it's going to change the world, but I'm an optimist, so I think it's going to be for the good.
1: I share I share your optimism Bob even though uh, with a, a heavy dose of of skepticism at at the right times um I I love that notion you know when you think if you just break it down to what we've always been I know they always as a creative would say you're only as good as like your source images you know you're only as good as as your prompts um we all are 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 really have been doing prompts uh, as a creative that's what role what you do I've yeah. watched you yeah.
2: that's what that's what everybody does, and the technologists do the same thing. They're prompting their team to create um, and change software and and so forth. Um, writers do the same thing. Um, so it's 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 going to be We're going to have AI partners, not 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 companies, but just the software itself and how you use it. Um, but you're still going to need the creative people. And the technology people that understand how to um, prompt in a way that creates um, the, the best possible quality.
1: What kind? You know, we've. I, I feel like part of what um, attracted me to, to RGA has always been um, the the philosophies, but also amazing, interesting people that have come through. Mm-hmm. And I think thinking about um, the kind of talent that that have come through and maybe the next wave of talent, you know, talking about the the kind of creative you need to be, what are some of the qualities that you think um, are, are qualities you look for when you think about hiring, when you think about talent that, that can move with change that can be ready for, for expressions of creativity in different ways. Like what are those qualities that that you look for in, in talent?
2: I think, um, uh, going well. First of all, I'll make a big, the bigger statement, which I've made a lot. Um, I think the the most important thing that RGA has accomplished is its alumni. So we have talented people that truly love RGA that are in very important executive and important jobs around the world, and. Um, They could recommend us, they could recommend talent to us because they know what we're looking for. That's very, very important. The other thing is, I'd say if there's one word, um, it would be curiosity. You wanna find people who are curious about the world and that are uh, very good at working as a team, because we don't really have people that work out on their own. It's not that kind of organization. Um, In fact, I think the hardest part for companies to do distributed creativity is the fact they don't have an underlying um, collaborative infrastructure. So we've always had that. So when we add software to that and we add new tools and we add um, new offices and new locations and, different people and more diversity and everything, you can, with the right people, you can really do great work and you can come up with, they, they, they also need to be, um, another word that would come into play would be um, conceptual. Now, that's a very hard thing to be because that means you're starting pretty much from scratch and you're coming up with a concept that uh, resonates with um, audiences in the case of marketing to sell something, but in the case of products and services is to offer something that makes people's lives better. And um, that's part of our charge is to, to try to help make people people's lives better.
1: I love that. It's, um... Such great thinking around you know the people and what, what's needed, and I, I also think um, another word that pops into my head when I think about um, the work over the years that you've been a part of, and even some of the people, um, design also being a really big word. Um, and design can you know can be in some cases people think that it's executional, it's strategic, it is conceptual. Um, it relates to the your. Affinity for art, and you know where you started. What what does that word mean to you, and and where do you think the role of design is going?
2: I brought. I think I'm glad you brought that up. I think it means everything. Um, I think that um, design um, is a way in which you can take very complicated things, which is what the world's about these today, and make them understandable. And it ties into the Baha'i concept of um simplicity um right now i'm i'm talking to uh upstate where i live they're building a new uh, shaker museum and um the design of the the things that they made when you look at it it's all about um uh, fun being functional and simple and um uh useful and um I, I think a lot about that and and design um, is the uh, is the key to 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 our business really It's a design of how we work it's designers that do the most interesting visual visual work. Um, it's um it's it's critical
1: So I have a question what advice? might you have or a newly appointed chair of RGA I'm asking for a friend
2: <laughs> well congratulations on um, <laughs> being appointed the chair you're very well deserved and um you know what I what I think there's a real lack of and a real need for in companies today is uh, leadership so um I think, through the years that i was um ceo i i didn't realize um early on that i was leading i i just would gather people together we'd have conversations and i'd make a decision and it's really important that you have somebody in that role so i think you're in that role now and you can make a huge difference and it's really kudos to you that you did it as a woman, which is still crazy that 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 there aren't that many um, chair positions for women in in uh, agencies these days. But I think you can make a really big difference, and you have all the skills and the, and the right um, understanding of how to motivate people and. That's the key is um, the company needs leadership right now. And you're the leader.
1: Well, um, I didn't expect the, all that, Bob. So I, okay. I appreciate that. It's really nice you to say. And, you know, obviously um, passionate about, you know, everything that you've built and done all these years and want to help it push into that next way that next uh, cycle that we know you've always been a part of pushing for. And I, I you know, I wanted to end with a couple of questions. Um, you know, you, you mentioned you're, you just turned 75. Um, RGA has been around for, for 46 years. I'm 46 years, um, incidentally. <laughs> and, um, and as someone, you also recently beat cancer, um, but you still stay relevant uh, and keep pushing, you know, motivated. What advice would you give to that next generation, the ones that are going to come into a, a very different world, as you said, AI changing everything? Is there some, some words of wisdom you could leave for people?
2: Well, there was one other word that you brought up that could have been included with the idea of somebody being conceptual or um, uh, collaborative, and that's that they'd be passionate. So we want to find those people. Um, I think that um, if everybody could get the same benefit of having cancer without having cancer, that would be a great thing because I was used to, you know, operating in a certain way. And I wasn't empathetic enough about people that have um, severe illness. But one day you're a CEO and the next day you're a cancer patient. And so for about a year with, you know, um, uh, all the things that they put you through in cancer treatment, um, it's a leveling experience and it's a uh, kind and compassionate experience that um, has done more to change me as a human being than anything else I would have done in the past. I'm glad I survived it. Um, A lot of people helped particularly my wife, uh, Corvova, and um, people at the company and so forth. But I think think that gives you a new outlook. Um, The other thing about being 75 is um, I don't think you should think about stopping, for instance, after I survived cancer, I went right back on my motorcycle. So I I knew I didn't have the balance nor the strength, but it's like what they say when you fall off a horse, uh, you. the important thing is to get back on. So I got back on and I have two motorcycles now and I zoom around. I knew I could get hurt and all that stuff, but um, it's more important the uh, challenge of overcoming stuff. So that's that's another thing. And then it's um, it's finding new things to get interested in um, that uh, keep you uh, younger. And so um, I, I have a lot of interest. I think with people who, who start to reach retirement age, their biggest problem is they, they never developed enough interest. So, and not to mention, it's very, very important to plan for retirement, just fi- financially. So that's one thing. And then interest is an even more important thing. And and you could um, continue on in an important way, I think.
1: I think it goes back to the theme you said you looked for in other people, which is that curiosity, which yeah. I think you had in yourself. Um, just really interesting themes through all of this, I think of the the disruption around technology, but I also think disruption around humanity, you know, the idea of the pandemic being the thing that you didn't pre-visualize what cancer can do and how, you know, really thinking about how those things come together is really how to think about how we move forward. Um, I wanted to, to leave it with maybe one opportunity for you to have, to put an idea out there that maybe others could, could make and carry on. Was there one idea that never got made that you still daydream about? This is the brief to everyone.
2: <laughs> um, I think that one of the most important things for the future is the um, the architecture, the design, the software, and everything around gaming. And I'm not a gamer, but I wish that we had put a bigger emphasis into the gaming um design and technology because I do believe it's the key to the future and um as a user experience and it's certainly completely critical to um the metaverse as an example so I wish we would have done more with that I wish we would have done more with data as well because I think that's also key and um I think um I think that um, we're well set up with the changes that we've made structurally to be significant in the future as one of the companies that's innovating. I think that's all uh, that's the most important thing to me. And we're we're doing a book on RGA that covers the whole period and and the period going forward. So that's exciting.
1: So history is important and the future. And you know what, like some of those things maybe haven't been done, but they can still be done. Um, Thank you, Bob. It's so awesome always to um, connect with you and talk with you and and hear and and be inspired.
2: Thank you. You're inspiring too. And thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks, Bob.
0: Okay. Thank you to my dear friend, Tiff Rolfe. Thank you to the legend, Bob Greenberg. And as always, thank you to the executive producer of this podcast, Andrew Feltenstein and the fine people at Beacon Street Music. Guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, share it with a friend or colleague, send it in an all agency email. And until we talk again, peace. Your soul, raise both hands, let them clap for show.
1: Let it wrap your resistance, may trap unknowns. Release fill your heart, speak, balance flowing.